Well, there's always a useful caveat, but on the surface, it looks like the US has just seen a big increase in jobs. So what does that mean for the expectations of a pause by the Fed unless they're assured that credit tightening by banks will do the trick for them instead? And we've got some useful information on that today. Plus, how much more to come from the RBA? We look at the statement of monetary policy from Friday. It's also the NAB business survey today, today, a day early. And this week, the Bank of England, how much further will they go? You know, perhaps they should have snuck in another one or two during the coronation when no one was looking. It's Monday, the 8th of May, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Uh, 0.2% fall in the US dollar on Friday, but 0.4% down over the week on the DXY index. A 0.9% lift in the Aussie dollar on Friday. It's up to 67.5 US cents. That's more than 2% up over the week. And the pound rose half percent on Friday in a mixed week, but over $1.26 now. It's the highest it's been since the middle of last year. And stocks lost their uneasiness at the end of the week last week. Friday saw a 2.25% lift in the NASDAQ, 1.6% for the Dow, almost 1.9% for the S&P 500. Energy and IT doing well, but just about every sector doing well, including banks. We had a lot of short covering for regional banks. So PacWest Bancor, for example, up 82% on Friday. Uh, shares also up in Europe with the Eurostox 50 up 1.25%. The FTSE 100 up 1%. One of the few places not doing so well was China with the CSI 300 down a third of 1%. As stocks rise, we're seeing bonds falling, pushing yields higher. So up 6 for 10-year treasuries, up 10 for 10-year bunds in Germany up 13 for UK 10-year gilts ahead of the Bank of England this week. In fact, UK 10-year yields are now at 3.77% compared to 3.44% for US 10 years. So that is a 33 basis point spread. End of March, they were neck and neck. Start of February, they were 52 basis points the other way. Uh, so we'll examine that in uh, just a second when we start looking at uh, the Bank of England. But first of all, non-farm payrolls on Friday. Uh, here's NAB's Tapper Strickland to talk about that. And it was not what the Fed wanted to see, was it? Good morning, Phil. Yes, another very strong payrolls report and uh, one that has surprised markets yet again. And for those people who are waiting for a US recession, given all the signs that we have been seeing over the past uh, six months, it's almost like waiting for uh, Goddard, uh, if, if you remember the uh, Irish play by... Yeah. Beckett and I'm glad, to say, I'm glad to see you bringing a bit of culture into the show. <laughs> uh, thanks, Phil. Um, it's all because of the coronation, obviously. Um, so, um, yeah. uh, payrolls printed at 253,000 versus 185,000 expected. And although there were sizable down revisions to the prime month, the unemployment rate uh, fell rather than rose to uh, 3.4% versus 3.6% expected. And then you look at average hourly earnings, so that printed two tenths yes. above consensus at 0.5% versus 0.3%. So, um, for those people who are looking uh, for a soft landing, I guess this kind of plays into that view a little bit, just given payrolls are still very resilient to all the monetary tightening that we have seen so far. But on the other side, um, the thing the Fed would not like out of this report is the average hourly earnings numbers. And that does suggest that there was a bit of signal out of the ECI that we did get uh, a couple of weeks ago and suggests that wages are just inconsistent with uh, inflation getting back to the Fed's 2% target. Still a very divided Fed, though, isn't it, as to how they respond to this? I mean, Bullard and Goolsby, uh, it's the, the hawk versus the dove, really. You know, we need to, on the one side, we need to see signs of inflation coming down versus the other side. Well, the credit crunch from the banks is going to do a lot of the work. Oh, indeed. And I think Chair Powell put it this way, 
we all know about the tightening in credit conditions that are likely to happen at the small and regional banks. And, and indeed, we get the senior loan officers survey from the US Fed uh, later today. And that's going to be looked at quite closely yeah. to try and gauge that extent. But what's more unknown is to what extent does that impact on activity and inflation? And uh, that, unfortunately, we won't know uh, until a couple of months as that starts to feed through the data. And so far, uh, as we saw from the April payrolls report, you wouldn't expect it to show much impact. It's not showing any impact from the developments that we did see in March. So we're going to have to wait another couple of months for that. Um, and when you look at market pricing, outside of a further intensification in this uh, financial shock stemming from the regional bank ructions, um, you'd have to say market pricing of around 70, um, 75 basis points worth of cuts in the second half of this year so far looks um, a little bit too promising uh, if uh, we still have to wait another couple of months to see to what extent does this tightening in credit conditions impact on activity and inflation. Well, two-year yields are still below 4%, aren't they? I mean, they've spent a, a large chunk of this year until we hit, the, in fact, you know, the tail end of last year, over, over 4%, and still until we hit with that that, that banking crisis. Uh, we, we haven't really got back up there. That's right. So when you look at uh, US two yields, they did rise by 11.9 basis points uh, on Friday to 3.91%, but uh, it's still below that 4 level as you were saying before. And I think for markets at least, even though it may take <clears throat> some time for the data to reflect the tightening credit conditions, I think they are pricing in um, uh, quite a substantial easing. Um, as you we were talking before, about 76 basis points worth of cuts priced in the second half of this year, uh, both on the prospect of the regional banking uh, ructions intensifying further. And we're not out of the woods there yet, despite the market moves that we did see on Friday. And also just we're unclear exactly to how big the effect will be on activity and inflation. I think markets are probably expecting a bigger hit to activity and inflation than that some people at the Fed are thinking at least. So it's interesting, isn't it, now we're all looking at this uh, senior loan officer survey. Uh, the new, it's the new glamour stat, isn't it? Because, you know, we've we had passing uh, interest in it in the past. So I'm wondering what's a, what's a good number. So I look at the, the January number. Last time it was released, a third of banks said that they tightened their credit standards. Uh, so... I guess the question is, are more of them going down the road and the extent, the, the level of that tightening of control? Uh, but, I, 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 you know, how much is going to be needed for the Fed to say, well, OK, we're going to deduct one rate rise on the basis of, of, of that tightening? I wonder, you know, are we going to be able to tell just how much material impact it's going to have from this one survey? And unfortunately, we won't. And I think that was a message coming out of the FOMC uh, last Wednesday as well. They did say that credit conditions had been tightening um, and potentially quite a lot, but it's still unclear exactly what impact that will have on activity and inflation. Our theory suggests it should have an impact, um, but until you see to what extent it does have an impact, um, you just have to be in a bit of a wait and see mode. So I think that kind of consensus for a Fed pause for at least a couple months just to judge how much impact it's having on, on, on the economy is pretty warranted in that vein. I thought Bullard's comments were more balanced in that respect, being prepared to perhaps pause in June. Right. Uh, and it's not just the US that's got this tight labour market. And we were surprised with the Canada employment numbers as well, over 41,000 new jobs created, average hourly earnings not coming down, the unemployment rate sticking at 5%. Uh, we saw 10-year uh, bond yields up 11 basis points on Friday. So we saw the, a, a response to that. It's just happening everywhere, it seems. Uh, definitely. And uh, with Canada, just worth noting, uh, employment did print twice the market consensus there. Um, and yeah. uh, uh, um, hourly wages for those on full-time rose to 5.2% year-on-year versus 4.8% expected. So despite all the monetary tightening that we have seen in Canada, despite the sensitivity 
to uh, mortgage rates. Um, that is a very similar occurrence in Australia and the very strong recovery in migration. Uh, the labour market in Canada is still tight, still generating a lot of wages pressure. And maybe that sends a bit of a message back to Australia as well. Uh, we've been uh, thinking for some time that the RBA probably needs to do a little bit more than the current track. And uh, the data out of Canada does suggest that uh, the, the economy uh, globally and also those most sensitive to high mortgage rates are still proving incredibly resilient and wages growth is still just not consistent with inflation yeah. getting back to target. No, it's a surprise, isn't it? A lot of it was, uh, I guess the only caveat was a lot of it was part-time jobs, wasn't it? A lot of these new jobs created. I'm just wondering, is that because people, there's more people coming into the workforce who are having to, uh, perhaps, or people taking second jobs because they've got to work more to make ends meet or it could be migrants taking part-time jobs i guess it's uh, difficult to tell but it was just a fact wasn't it, it wasn't all new oh, definitely uh, difficult to tell but just two startling facts uh, when you look at population growth civilian 15 years plus in australia that has grown by 2.3% over the past year, so about 480,000 people. Um, and in Canada, it's grown by about 2.6% year on year. So very strong population growth. That's obviously allowing employment growth to occur. Um, and that population growth, importantly, is coming uh, in the front of a very tight labour market. So it's all being absorbed by the by the tightness in the labour market and labour demand, and that's keeping the unemployment rate still at low levels. And then, despite everything, uh, Australian housing loan commitments uh, rose in March as well. I mean, every economy seems to be getting stronger despite the work of central banks. So at 4.9% month-on-month, uh, the consensus was it was going to fall. So that was a big surprise on Friday. A, a big surprise, and maybe it shouldn't have been that much of a surprise, just given uh, house prices did rise in the preceding two months. And so uh, generally yeah. uh, credit and house prices move uh, fairly contemporaneous. Um, what it probably does suggest, though, is the whole talk of the RBA uh, pausing. And we are discussing last week how why economists got it so wrong in terms of the RBA. And it was all about how the RBA has been trying to illustrate this soft landing path, uh, has always been leading economists and perhaps the wider public to think the last rate hike is just around the corner and that's leading people to be in a, a false lull in terms of uh, where the peak in rates may have to actually go in order to control inflation and so at the beginning of last uh, at the beginning of this year there's a lot of talk about the RBA pausing um, and uh, being done in the rate hike cycle and I think that got a lot of people interested in getting back into the housing market again so uh, the more interesting story will really be uh, will that pick up continue um, if the RBA has to continue to, to lift rates. And when you look at Friday's statement on monetary policy, all the risks around inflation are to the upside and they're all asymmetric. And importantly, when the RBA broke down uh, what was driving inflation over the pandemic and what's forecast to get it back to target, um, they think most of that rise in inflation is due to supply disruptions not really ascribing much to a uh, tight labour market or to a hot economy. Um, so it doesn't leave much real room um, if supply disruptions don't come back as quickly or if indeed they're wrong and actually demand conditions is incredibly strong and that's been driving a lot of the inflation then you'd have to say the RBA is a fairly strong risk that they need to do uh, more um, right so this so these housing loan commitments could be a one-off just for one month it's 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 curious though that although you know we saw that big increase in uh, in, in new commitments the size of the loan is falling. So the, the value committed actually fell, didn't it? And I, and I saw in the UK last week, in fact, we talked about it on the podcast, how mortgage approvals rose 52,000 in March, but the amount of lending was only 18 million against an expectation of one and a quarter billion. 
so more mortgages happening, but the value of those mortgages is almost as though people are downsizing. Well, the potential borrowing capacity for the average borrower has definitely fallen. So that may be part of the reason why the average uh, approval is down. But also um, in Australia, at least, uh, that very strong recovery in population growth, creating a lot of pressure, particularly in the apartment market. So it may be a compositional issue as well as people start to um, evaluate the kind of uh, metrics around the apartment market and uh, risk and return around there, which tend to be lower priced than, say, the detached house. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. It's compositional. People are hanging on to their big houses uh, if they can. So, look, the big events for Australia this week, uh, and we've got a few big ones overseas as well, uh, but you sort of touched on it very briefly. We've got the federal budget on uh, on Tuesday night. Uh, so i ask you what impact that's going to have, if any, on, on monetary policy and the RBA and also the NAB business survey, which is normally on a Tuesday. But because the federal budget is tomorrow, that's been brought forward. And obviously, that is something that is watched uh, keenly by the RBA. We don't know what's in it. We can't talk about it, but it's on today, isn't it? That's right. It is on today and definitely not talking about it. Um, with, with the Australian budget, um, it, two uh, standout points, really, is um, there has been a massive boom in tax revenues um, driven by wages growth, uh, higher than expected employment and also elevated commodity prices. And uh, the papers are quoted and have been background briefed a lot uh, to expect a a surplus for the first time in 15 years. Um, So uh, if that does eventuate on Tuesday, that would be a dramatic turnaround and also a big contrast to what's going on in many other places around the world. But importantly, um, all that is occurring due to effectively one-off revenue gains. So it's not really uh, taking money out of the economy to... uh, reduce inflation or to help the RBA out in its fight against inflation. Uh, So in that respect, um, the main takeaway from this budget is there may be a few things around energy subsidies and around that kind of stuff, um, but the the fight against inflation is going to be totally reliant on the RBA um, um, hiking rates rather than the federal government reigning in spending and um, registering surpluses of a sizable nature. So that's probably the main outcome. And indeed, is the main outcome of all government budgets right around the world is they're leaving it all to the monetary authority to fight inflation. Yeah. Although they could subsidise, anyway, we won't get into a discussion about fiscal policy, but they could subsidise energy a bit more and that might help. Although that's less important now, isn't it, I guess, the the energy component. Yeah, well, the the Treasurer does have a centrepiece for $14.6 cost of living uh, budget package over over four years that is aimed at providing a bit of uh, cost relief to lower vulnerable households, which I think is actually now um, 5.5 million households and 1 million small businesses. So there is going to be substantial energy relief at least. Right. The Bank of England this week uh, and looking at the bond yields rising so much, there's clearly an expectation they're going to go further and for longer. Uh, and, you know, not the same expectation of a, of a quick retreat that markets are hoping for in the United States, is there? I mean, the Bank of England seems has a lot of work to do. Oh, it does. And when you look at the latest wages figures out of the UK, they're running at 6% year on year. Very hard to see inflation getting back to uh, the BOE's 2% target if uh, wages growth is running at those kind of rates. Um, so market pricing is, is for a 25 basis point hike uh, on Thursday and then um, a follow-up 25 basis point hike by August. But if those wages, wages prints don't show any signs of turning, you'd have to say the Bank of England probably has to keep on going until they do see some signs of turning there. And indeed, that's the kind of thing that we're seeing right across the world is very resilient labour markets um, and wages growth still remaining very, very Right. And US CPI, middle of the week, very important. Core inflation rate month on month, of course, was 0.4% last time. Uh, The number is expected to be about the same. Let's hope it doesn't increase. Oh, 
definitely if, if it does increase and you have that tight labor market then uh, the risk would be the fed probably has to go maybe another one even though markets are heavily pricing in cuts in the second half of this year uh, one area that we're looking at for is the cpi rental growth so uh, asking rents have been falling in the us for um, the past six months or so so that should start to be reflected in cpi rents right. so and very quickly before we go where are we with the debt ceiling in the united states uh, the debt ceiling those negotiations are ongoing and uh, there was a talk about uh, the white house reportedly weighing the short-term extension of the debt ceiling but um, not really any indications of what kind of concessions would uh, come out of that. Just worth noting um, that that is starting to affect some pricing in short-term bills. So T-bills maturing at the end of this month are about 4.5%, but there's a 60 to 90 basis point premium for bills maturing in June or July. And recall uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen did say that she thought the X date or when the Treasury would run out of cash was going to be around the beginning of June. Right. Okay, well, we'll keep keep an eye on all of that. Uh, the UK is on holiday today, of course, uh, getting over their celebrations. It's also VE Day, which means I think it's a holiday in France. I, I don't think much else in, in Europe, but a couple of holidays. But otherwise, that's it for today. Uh, we'll catch you again. Thanks, Tapas. Cheers. Thanks, Phil. Far more entertaining, wasn't it, than getting up early to watch Lionel Richie at that uh, royal concert thingy that's going on right now. That's it for today. I'm Phil Dobby for now. Back again tomorrow morning. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening.